I had the opportunity to sit with my three granddaughters in Hattiesburg Friday night. We were having dinner, and the conversation turned to the sheep. Jesus mentions the sheep again in this passage, and I did not prompt them. They were talking about going to the farm, and Elena, the six-year-old, said, oh, those sheep scared her. They scared me, she said. They gathered all around the trailer. I had the kids on a trailer. I pulled them out into the pasture, and the sheep gathered all around. They're all black-faced. Uh, they are dorper ewes with their lambs, and they were all bleeding, just as loud as you can imagine, in a 360 around the girls, just bleeding because they wanted me to feed them. And she remembered that. She said, oh, those sheep scared me. Well, I don't know if sheep scare you or not, Sometimes we read things in the Bible and we wonder, well, what's that about? Well, they knew about sheep in the Bible, and this time Jesus mentions not only sheep but wolves, snakes, and doves. As far as I know, it is the most animals mentioned by the Lord in a single place. We're in Matthew chapter 10, turning in our Bibles to hear what Jesus has to say to us the living Lord Jesus is present. This message he intended not only for the 12, but it is obvious now that he's going beyond the 12, not just the campaign in Galilee to the villages there. Now he's talking about things that are going to happen in the future with this current generation of believers that he's talking to and also with successive generations of people who follow him. So from now on, the sermon's not just about the 12. He's talking about what's going to happen to them. He's sharing the reality of being in the world as a follower of Jesus and just what it costs, what it means, and what you can expect. And we're in verse 16 where Jesus says, this is Matthew chapter 10, verse 16, the ordination sermon to the 12. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. Truly, I tell you, you will not finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A sobering and even fearful message to the twelve and the larger group as they hear what is going to happen to them in the world. Jesus has already recruited these twelve. They've already said, yes, we're going to follow you. They've left their nets. Now he's giving them the bad news. And the bad news is the world is going to hate you. The world is going to persecute you. You're going to have trouble. And it's going to be severe trouble. 
That's what he says. Now, he's already mentioned sheep, harassed and helpless and without a shepherd when he saw the crowds. He's already sent them to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, not to the Gentiles. That's where they're to go. And now for the third time, sheep show up in the remarks of Jesus in this passage. And this time, he's sending them out as sheep among wolves. Here's my suggestion to you. Be the sheep. It's okay. Be the sheep. Maybe in your mind, sheep have a bad reputation. Be the sheep. The sheep are domesticated animals. They're brought into the family of man, into the circles of civilization. They are kept in pens and barns, and they are tended by people. David was a shepherd boy before he became the greatest king of Israel. He's the one who said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And then he says things that pertain to the sheep. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Well, I like to lie down in green pastures, okay? Sometimes I lie in the thick grass and look up at the heavens. But sheep do it every day all the time. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths. Have you ever seen the paths that sheep take? If you keep sheep in a pasture very long, they will have these long trails of worn dirt that go from place to place and side to side, down to the watering trough and over to the pasture where they graze and up to the farm where the shepherd feeds them. And these trails are everywhere. And David is saying, he leads me in the, in the right paths, in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. You can even see the sheep in, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, because as I've told you, sheep are prone to die. They seem to be frail creatures. I had a brother-in-law who was a shepherd, and he said, a sheep is an animal who's looking for some place to die. That was his assessment of sheep. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Can you see that sheep walking through that valley? I will fear no evil. Why? Why would you not be afraid? Because the shepherd is with me. The sheep has no hope on its own. The sheep's hope is in the shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Having a shepherd like this, I will not be afraid. You have to get in this mindset. You have to crawl into the sheep's wool. You've got to be the sheep, all right? You've got to sense how the shepherd cares for you, how he watches over you, how he would lay down his life for you, how he puts you in the safe place at night. It was to the shepherds that the angels announced the birth of the Messiah. They were out in the fields tending their flocks, taking care of them at night. I have a picture on Facebook of a wounded sheep. 
that was out in the pasture, and I just snapped that picture as the sheep was going away from me. It had been attacked by the coyotes, and one of the children in the early service came up to me afterward and said, well, why didn't you take a picture of the coyote? Where's the coyote? And I said, well, it's hard to catch a coyote on camera. Have you ever tried to do that? I mean, Wally Coyote's pretty fast, right? But he does his stuff in the broad daylight. Most coyotes, they work at night, and the wolves work at night. So if you're tending the sheep at night, you may have thought all your life, well, what are these shepherds doing out in the field tending sheep at night? That's when the predators come. When it's dark, when it's dangerous, that's when the predators come. And so the shepherd watches over the sheep day and night in Oh, in every circumstance and situation, excuse me. I've been talking. Robert, I was singing at the top of my lungs, all right? And I dried out all my passages. So. I'm going to have to have a drink. See, I've been talking now for two hours. That's my problem. Thank you, Jerry. Be the sheep. Follow your shepherd. The shepherd feeds you and he leads you. That's what he does. He protects you and he cares for you. He takes care of you when you need strength, when you need nutrition, when you need nourishment for your soul. The shepherd feeds you. When you need refreshment, he takes you beside the water. When you need protection, he's watching over you. When you need to go on the right path, he leads you in the path that is right for his name's sake. So be the sheep. Be the sheep. We, re, we resist that. We want to be in charge. We want to be the man. And God wants us to be the sheep. Peter was an under-shepherd. Jesus commissioned him. You remember that exchange that John records? Peter, do you love me? After all the mess you've made, Peter, do you love me? He says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my sheep. Tend my lambs. Take care of my sheep. Peter went out into the world to be the shepherd. And in his epistle, his letter of 1 Peter, he writes and says, when the chief shepherd, he knew he was a shepherd. He was an under-shepherd. He was a pastor. The word pastor means shepherd. It's my favorite word in the Bible for the person who shares his gifts in teaching the church. I love the word pastor pastor because it means shepherd and it's used interchangeably with other words like bishop and elder but I love the word pastor and pastor Peter said when the chief shepherd appears he's going to give you a crown of glory that will never fade away all of the sufferings and the services of the sheep are as nothing compared to the glory that will be revealed in them. So be the sheep. Let the shepherd lead you. Let him protect you. Jesus wants you to know that you're being sent out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Wolves are not domesticated, right? 
They are predators. They are wild animals. They're not in the fold. They're outside in the canyons and the forests. They are predators after their prey. Do you know we have a Mills County Predator Association? I didn't know this when I was a kid. I grew up partly in Mills County. I didn't know they had a Predator Association. The Predator Association in Mills County just had a barbershop quartet competition to raise money. Well, they came together and they sang, and all the money that they raised, it's going to help them control coyotes and wolves that get into the sheep and kill the sheep. Every culture that raises sheep and domesticated animals has a concern about predators. And Jesus is saying to his disciples in this passage, I'm sending you out like sheep, like gentle people who turn the other cheek and go the second mile and love your enemies and do good to those who hurt you. I'm sending you out like sheep in the midst of wolves. And these wolves are people who are going to take you before councils and they're going to flog you in the synagogues and for my sake they're going to lock you up and bring you down. For my name's sake. That's going to happen to you. And he says you're going to be flogged in the synagogues. And I get the picture of wolves. And they are wolves in sheep's clothing. Christians started out in the synagogues saying, we believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But we believe Jesus is the Messiah. And there was a little bit of time there where the Christians were in the synagogue and they had the covering of the legal religion of Judaism in the empire, in the Roman Empire. But then pretty soon conflict arose and over and over again we see that in the book of Acts where Paul goes to teach in the synagogue and conflict arose. And you know, Paul was flogged. He was beaten, he was whipped by the authorities of the synagogue. Do you know that Stephen, the first martyr of the church, was given the death sentence by a council, the council of the Sanhedrin? I read this and it struck me how religious people can be wolves. So I want you to perk up your ears if you consider yourself to be a faithful believer, a follower of Jesus Christ, sincere and true, if that's how you see yourself, and I want to say to you, don't be the wolf. Be the sheep. Jesus knew that for his purposes in the world, violence and carnivores and weaponry would not be strong enough to get done what he wanted to do in the world. That what his church had to do as sheep was go out and teach and preach the good news of the gospel and persuade men and women to believe. And that no confession of faith in Jesus would be genuine if it was coerced under the threat of death. So we are sent out into the world with a peaceful purpose. We are ready to die for our faith, but not to kill for our faith. The swords are not strong enough. 
We might kill to protect our family. We might kill to protect our friends. But we're not going to kill to advance our faith because we're sheep in the midst of wolves. It was religious people, the thought police in the synagogues who said, no, you can't have those thoughts. You can't believe Jesus is the Messiah. And they persisted in following Jesus and they strung him up to die. I wish I could tell you today that once followers of Jesus prevailed in populations of people, in cultures and societies, I wish I could tell you that every time they remained a peaceful people who depended on persuasion, not coercion, and never flogged or beat or mistreated people who disagreed with them. But I can't tell you that, and you already know that. It's the sad history of the church of Jesus Christ that from time to time, people have been so zealous in their faith in Jesus that they figured if they could get the arm of government, if they could get the support of the police, if they could use the army to advance the faith in Jesus, then they would win the world. And they kill the faith instead. It becomes fraudulent. It becomes fake under the threat of coercion, under the threat of the gun or the sword. You don't make Christians with a sword. I wish I could tell you that even different brands of Christians have never persecuted one another. They've tolerated each other and remained in peace, but you know that's not true. You know, even in the history, our own relatively short history as Baptists. There was a man named Felix Manns whom they drowned in Zurich for his true faith and true baptism. They called them Baptists because they redunked people who had been sprinkled when they were babies. They were under the conviction, these Baptists, that every man must give his own answer to God. And an infant can't give his answer to God, they said, so you shouldn't baptize him. That's just what they believed. And Felix Mann stood up and he said that, he preached that, and he let them baptize him. And they drowned him for it. Be careful that you don't become so persuaded that you will use violence to spread your point of view. There was a man named Roger Williams who lived in the time of religious persecution. He founded the colony of Rhode Island. We have a couple of Rhode Islanders here today. Hello, Rhode Islanders. I love Rhode Island, and I've been to the church building, you know, that... They're in Providence. Roger Williams didn't believe that you could spread the faith in Jesus by coercing people with government. And so he said, in Rhode Island, whether you're a Catholic, whether you're a Jew, whether you're a Muslim, whether you're an atheist or an infidel, you can come and be part of this colony and for political office there will never be a religious test. That's what he said. It was radical in his day. It's still radical today. 
Under the influence of Roger Williams and others like him, John Leland put pressure on James Madison to introduce the Bill of Rights so that Virginia would not approve the new American Constitution unless they had these first ten amendments, the first of which was to be Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. That's the First Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. In part, it was born out of the Baptist conviction that people need to have freedom of conscience, that we don't need to persecute them and whip them and flog them in synagogues and throw them in prison because of their religious views. It is a sweet and wonderful gift that we have to give to the world when we go as sheep in the midst of wolves and we say, we are not here to beat you, to make you see it our way. We are here to deliver to you a sweet and wonderful message, the good news of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And you can freely accept it because God has freely given it. Hey, I love being part of this tradition, this wonderful stream of thought Jesus said, watch out in the world. They're going to beat you up. They're going to beat you down. But you stay faithful to the end. He said, I want you to be shrewd and innocent. You're a lamb. You're gentle. You're patient. You're kind. You're loving. The world is going to see that as weakness, though it is not. Jesus knows it to be strength. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He said, blessed are those who mourn. They're going to be comforted. He said, blessed are the meek. What? They're going to inherit the earth. He said, blessed are you when men persecute you and say all manner against you falsely for my sake rejoice and be exceeding glad great is your reward in heaven it's just how they persecuted the prophets who were before you you're going into the world like a sheep but I don't want you to have your head in the sand it's possible that in that gentleness and that sweet spirit and that kindness that comes out of your life and comes out of your mouth that people will misjudge you and think you lack strength or wisdom. I want you to be shrewd as a serpent, Jesus said in this passage. Now, maybe that's a little bit uncomfortable for Jesus to say, I want you to be a little like a snake. Because when I see a snake, I go, ah! You know, I'm going the other way, snakes. I got lots and lots of snake stories. Stop me sometime, I'll tell them to you. They'll make your hair stand up on your head. Jesus said, I want you to be shrewd. Ever since the Garden of Eden, the snake has been seen. He's been, he's been compared to craftiness and shrewdness and even wisdom, wise as a serpent. What's Jesus saying? He wants you to be aware of your surroundings. He wants you to have your eyes wide open. As a believer in him, he doesn't want your head buried in the sand. He wants you to know what's going on. He wants you to understand the consequences. He wants you to know the score. When you go before the council, when you go before the governor, when you go before the king, when the politician calls you in, you be wise, you be aware, wise as a serpent, harmless as a dove. 
Rudyard Kipling said, if you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you, if you can trust yourself when all men doubt you and make allowance for their doubting too, if you can wait and not be tired by waiting or being lied about, don't deal in lies or being hated, don't give way to hating and yet don't look too good or talk too wise. If you can dream and not make dreams your master, if you can think and not make thoughts your aim, if you can meet with triumph and disaster and treat those two imposters just the same, if you can bear to hear the truth you've spoken, twisted by knaves to make a trap for fools, or watch the things you gave your life to broken and stoop and build them up with worn-out tools, if you can make one heap of all your winnings and risk it on one turn of pitch and toss and lose and start at your beginnings and never breathe a word about your loss, if you can talk with crowds and keep your virtue or walk with kings, nor lose the common touch. If neither foe nor love and friend can hurt you. If all men count with you, but none too much. If you can fill the unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distance run, yours is the earth and everything that's in it. And which is more, you'll be a man, my son. Jesus was saying, be wise as a serpent. Keep your head. Watch your temper. Don't be fooled. Go out in the world and live the life he's called you to live and be harmless as a dove. Look, don't be like a dove in every way, all right? Don't be like a snake in every way and don't be like a dove in every way. The doves around my house, they're just too foolish. I don't want you to be like them. They build a little scrawny nest on top of a garage door opener and lay two eggs in it. When you hit the garage door opener, it just shakes, and the little eggs fall down and break. They'll build a nest in a hanging basket. Yeah, it's, pit it's pitiful. It's pathetic. You know, I'm trying to teach them, trying to get them. Come on now. We can do better than this. What are you doing building this nest on a rain spout? Don't you know what's going to happen? But Jesus says, I want you to be innocent like the dove. Not in every way like the dove, but be innocent like the dove. That is not seeking to do anybody harm. The only time I've really been almost harmed by a dove is when it got caught in a cage and I had to get it out and it was all panicked. Other than that, doves don't hurt you. Shrewd as a serpent, harmless as a dove. That's your presence in the world. You're the sheep. You know what's going on, but you know the power of gentleness, kindness, goodness, and truth. You know how powerful patience is. So you're living in the world with this innocence, and you expect and know that the love you share is stronger than any violence that has worked against you. Jesus wants you to be prepared. When you confess him as Lord, not everybody's going to be your friend. Some of the people you think are going to be excited about you trusting Jesus and becoming a follower of Jesus, they're not going to be excited. You're going to think, well, why, why aren't you supporting me in this? I mean, this is the best thing that's ever happened to me. Oh, no. 
No, you're going to wake up. You're going to come to your senses. You're going to abandon this crazy thing. Right now, you're a religious fanatic, they'll say, and you've lost your way, but you're going to come around. I want you to be prepared like Jesus is preparing you. Not that everything's going to work out perfectly and it's all going to be smooth and you're not going to have any problems now that you trusted Jesus as Savior. The opposite is true. I got a promise for you. In this world, you shall suffer tribulation. How about that? It's coming your way. One of these days, it's going to be deeper and more sorrowful and more dreadful and more painful than you ever imagined it would be. There are times that we are walking in life's journey and things happen to us and we say to ourselves, wait a minute, wait a minute. I've been trying to serve the Lord. I've been trying to do what's right. And look at this person over here. They're not trying to serve the Lord or do what's right. Look what's come on me. And they just get along fine. They're just whistling Dixie down the path, rose-covered path, and here I am in all this trouble. What's going on? Jesus, knowing his disciples were going to fight these kind of battles, prepared them for what was to come. And I want you to be ready too. I want your faith to be strong. The scripture says, he who endures to the end shall be saved. Right? Now, we believe in salvation by grace alone through faith alone, okay? You can't work your way to heaven no matter how hard you try. You can't be good enough for God no matter how good you are. God is a perfect God, and you, my friend, are a sinner, even if you don't know it, all right? If you say, I have no sin, in the present tense, in this perfect moment, <laughs> you are wrong. You deceive yourself. The truth is not in you. That's John in 1 John 1.8. So we might as well forget the idea that we are good enough for God. We believe salvation is by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we come to him just like we are, sinful and miserable and needing a Savior. And he reaches down, he picks us up, he cleans us up, and he makes us God's child and he puts us in God's family. That's an act of grace. So what do you do with endure to the end? He who endures to the end shall be saved. I know people who stick it in a different dispensation and say, well, that doesn't pertain to us. That's for somebody else. I don't think so. I don't think so. You know what I think? I think true faith endures. You read the book of Hebrews and you tell me the difference between faith and persevering. They are closely connected throughout that book, written to people who were under persecution talking about how we persevere, how we hang in there, how we stay at it. What's this thing that you have in you that no matter what comes your way, no matter what loss you suffer, no matter what grief you endure, you hang in there, you remain faithful. That, my friends, is faith. That's trusting God and entrusting myself to God. You say, well, what is faith? Faith is Jesus spreading his arms, hung up to die when you feel like you're gonna give up, like you've endured more than any human being should, you're at the end of your rope and you can't do it anymore, then you look to Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. So you won't go weary and lose heart you watch Jesus as he dies. Don't you think that when they were stoning Stephen, he was looking at Jesus? He said, in fact, I see the Son of Man. 
the right hand of the majesty on high. Don't you know when they killed James, he was looking at Jesus. Felix Mance, when they drowned him at Zurich, they said his mother was in the crowd. And as they led him to the place where he would die, the historian records these words. His mother said to Felix, 21 years old, Felix, die for Jesus like he died for you. They counted not even their lives too precious for the sake of the gospel. In your greatest trial, in your greatest persecution, in the tribulation that has come upon your life, God will show himself faithful. And you, my friend, will shine the light of God's love brighter in your trouble than any other moment in your life. Bow with me, please. Somebody here needs to come run into Jesus. You need a Savior and you know it. This is the moment to say, I want Christ in my life. To open your heart to him, to acknowledge your sin, ask for his forgiveness, and commit your life to him. He loves you. And he will rescue you through his grace. Somebody here needs a renewed commitment the life that you've been called to for all these years and you've grown weary and well-doing, it's time to get a new wind. Maybe you need to be baptized. Maybe you need a church home. God, by your Holy Spirit, do your work in this room, we pray. Have your way in us. We are your sheep. Amen.